Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the Rising Podcast. This is on the turn with both my co-hosts, Kyle and Aaron. How are you guys doing? Fantastic I'm evening doing... in uh, South Scottsdale, North Tempe. Yesterday, weather was beautiful, and the end result was also quite nice. Yeah, yeah. It's great to be here with you guys, and it really was. It was such a nice match last night. Great, you know, great temperature, great weather, beautiful sunset right there at kickoff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, a frustrating match at times, but ultimately we got what we wanted. That we did, not without some controversy. But I think before this match begins, just want to touch on the TIFOs that both our supporters groups made for El Paso. Um, I got to see both of those. is very cool. Um, and then Sebastian Velasquez of El Paso actually took the Red Fury um, TIFO and brought it back with a really cool sign of uh, support for what our guys did. And I just wanted to shout that out because it's it's nice to see. Great to see both supporters section or, uh, or both supporters groups uh, doing something to to really recognize what what was going on and. Uh, Sebastian Velasquez has really done a, a, an incredible job in his community over there. Uh, he's only a, a fairly recent signing with El Paso, but he's sort of taken the, the front man lead in uh, um, providing some community support. Apparently, there were a couple coaches of a youth team that, that happened to be in uh, in the Walmart that were uh, either injured or killed, um, and he really took that to heart, uh, and uh, now that particular particular league has had a really nice fundraiser. I, I know that they've raised over $5,000 for that league um, in the memory of their, their their fallen coaches, so that's fantastic stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolute, absolute class from both supporter groups. You know, our thoughts are with both El Paso and Ohio. Um, and Yeah, I mean, just, you know, awesome to see that, and it's, it's really touching to see Velasquez, you know, come over and show support for the Red Fury and uh, be able to take something back to El Paso. And a lot more jersey uh, uh, jersey switching last match than I remember seeing. Adam John uh, traded a jersey. Uh, Sebastian Velasquez traded a jersey, I believe, with um, uh, Lambert. Uh, so although it was a uh, – the, the attitude after the match was certainly not the attitude toward each other during the match. Right, right. Do we want to get to the match itself? Because you're definitely on point with it being a chippy, intense match. Yeah, so uh, in terms of lineup, we do see a switch. Uh, last week we saw Musa and Lambert come out on the field together in the start. Didn't really work, well, not for me anyway. Uh, this particular match, we see Lubin and Goal, uh, Dumboya and Dia on the uh, um, as are your wing backs. This time we have a Mala and AJ Cochran center back pairing. Mala has been playing with Flemings. AJ Cochran gets back in the mix here. Uh, your defensive midfielder, Musa, uh, gets taken out in favor of Kivon Lambert. Uh, so Lambert's going to be the defensive midfielder. Flanked by Baccaro and Aguinaga in the midfield. And then up front, the big three, Junior Flemings, Solomon Asante, and Adam John in the, mid- in the middle. Uh, sitting on the bench, Carl Wazinski, Kyle Bjornthin, Joey Farrell, uh, Austin Ledbetter, James Musa, Joey Kalistri, and Ben Spencer. Notably absent from the substitute list, 
um, is Corey Whelan, and we're going to talk a little bit about him later. Uh, El Paso, on the El Paso side, they only traveled 17. They didn't travel a full squad. I don't know what makes the difference between 17 or 18. Maybe, you know, they didn't want to spring for a bigger bus or not. I'm not so sure. Uh, the really interesting thing within their lineup that was noted on the broadcast is that Fox, um, uh, what's it, Andrew Fox is a center back, English center back, get moved to be the target man forward. Typically, center back, they're having struggle with injuries, trying to get people to fill in. Uh, so they move their, their tall center back uh, from the back line all the way up to be the target man up at the top. And he's not even that tall. He's, you know, I said tall. He's actually five foot eleven. So, um, frankly, I didn't hear Andrew Fox's name once during the match. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I mean, we were both there, so we we weren't hearing names like that. Uh, we didn't have oh, access to the broadcast, but but um, yeah, I didn't I didn't notice him getting involved in too many attacks. So. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I, what are your thoughts on uh, uh, moving uh, Musa out of the lineup in favor of Lambert there? I think it was the move that um, that had to be made. Kavon's played so well the last couple of weeks since he got reinserted, and you have to start Bacaro. That was made very clear last week when we were down two nil, and then he comes on, helps kick off the comeback. Even though it was two one at the point he came on. He still helped us get over the line, get those two goals. And so the way our squad is, that means Moose is the odd man out. He's still going to be involved. He's still going to get time on the pitch um, and come on as a sub like he did yesterday and get pretty extended minutes. So Moose is going to be a part of this team moving forward. He's going to be a big part. But I think we're going to see Musa in more of a substitute role, at least for the next few matches. One other note on El Paso, we talk about injuries. The elephant in the room is Jerome Keithweather. Um, the podcasters over at El Paso have been pretty frustrated about this. Apparently, he was supposed to be back from an injury a couple of weeks ago. He still hasn't been in the lineup since June. And in that eight-match stretch, they now are 0, 3 draws and 5 losses with only three goals scored. So that was definitely something that helped us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh and and with really no I mean, I I don't understand why he's not playing, but you know, there's always a little freak little training things. Uh I think we were all hoping that we were going to see Alessandro Ricci uh back, you know, now and and the most recent news that I saw is that he's he's pulling 90% weight now on his uh gravity uh, gravity treadmill. So you know, is he is he going to be even be able to make it by the end of the season? I'm I don't know. Um, so moving into the into the match, this this is a really interesting match. Um, uh, this referee has six years of experience, plenty of experience for for a, a, an MLS match, and I want to look at this because uh, one of our colleagues at, at Firebird Soccer did make a note about the referee. It's his sixth it's his sixth game this year, USL as the center ref. In the previous five he handed out eighteen yellow cards and one red card. Um so he's sort of averaging somewhere around a little more than three yellow cards per match. That seems pretty light on discipline. And 
we really saw that uh, in, in, in the first 40 minutes of the match or so. Um, getting into the match here, Phoenix Rising has its first really great opportunity with a Bakura free kick uh, from the center. Uh, Logan Ketterer, the El Paso keeper, pushes the ball over the bar. Uh, in the ninth or in the eighth minute, we see our first kind of questionable whether or not this referee really knows what the heck he's doing. Uh, Asante goes down in the box. This is on the far end from where you guys were sitting. I, I, I was able to see it on the replay. I think Asante went down very, very soft here. But it, it, it's that very typical sort of smart Asante play where he knows he's in the box. He knows he's got a defender behind him. Um, he changes his pace a little bit so the guy runs into his back and, and he goes down. Um, what what did you guys hear? What did you see from the supporter side? Kyle, I don't know if you want to take this one because I didn't see much. Yeah, I mean, for me, there really wasn't much there. I mean, we kind of, as you said, Aaron, we kind of know that not that Solo is a player to to act like he's you know being injured more than uh, he's actually taking on a on a tackle, but I think that you know he's a smaller guy. When there's contact made, he's going to go down quite a bit. Um, so, I mean, for me, there wasn't really anything there, but we definitely saw early on that the, just the challenges that were being put in by both sides, that this was going to be a very chippy match. Yeah, and again, in the 10th minute, Fleming's uh, Fleming's carrying the ball up on the left-hand side, uh, has takes a, a slide tackle. Now, the announcers, I, I was listening to the announcers on this, and the announcers said, oh, you know, it looks kind of clean. He didn't raise his leg. The... The El Paso defender comes over on a slide tackle, absolutely raises his legs. His legs are absolutely high on this. It wasn't studs up, uh, but his, but he did raise his leg absolutely. And Flemings took great insult to this, uh, with the El Paso defender immediately coming coming over to, you know, pat his back or try to help him up. And Flemings was like, "Get the f out of here with that." Uh, he he was not feeling very well over on that side. And all of the fans on that on that um, that side of the field were were just given hell to the, to the referee because it felt like a yellow. I'm I'm sorry, Devin Kerr, man. You were able to see this on film, and he, the guy's legs are absolutely up on this. Uh, it really should have been a yellow. Well, Devin Kerr was a defender, though, so a little bit of bias there. Ah, <laughs> uh, good true. point. I, good point. I appreciate that. Uh, in the 14th, um, I do. Sorry, go ahead. I, I just want to take this. Yeah. All right. If we're getting to the 14th minute, let's get right into it because I don't know what the referee had his eyes on, but Kyle could see this clear as day. I could see this clear as day. Nine-year-old kids in the supporter section could see this clear as day. On the opposite side of the field, there is a very clear handball that does not get called. I couldn't see it from where I was because I was standing on the other. I was on the. I was on the. Uh, um, on the touch line, but on the opposite side of the goal. So I, I was not able to see it. But when I watched the replay and like the guy's arm is up and the ball comes down and it's, it just blows my mind. I mean, Asante. Everybody goes to the center ref. Asante goes running over to the to the side judge. 
Uh, I mean, what is going on here? Uh, this is definitely a, a, a negative score for the, these pro referees here. I think that this is going to be brought up on, on their score sheet for, for the evening from, uh, from their, pro, uh, their pro folks. Yeah, I mean, Drew Becky, his hand is up above his head. I mean, this not only should be a penalty, but this should also be a card because of how unnatural his, his hand is. Kyle, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think, I mean, we saw it in last time, but looking back at the replay as well, I can't see what is stopping the referee from being able to see this. I mean, maybe he got distracted by a, a squirrel somewhere in the area or something. I don't know. I'm with Solo. I think, you know, if, if the head referee doesn't see it, you know, the linesman has to have his eyes on that. Somebody has to see that and pick that up. And, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it definitely should have been a penalty and a card. It's just, as a defender on a set piece, you can't have your hand flailing out there like that. And, yeah, like you said, Aaron, you can see the ball coming down to his outstretched hand and making contact. Um, very disappointing, you know, to have that happen. I think that's really when the fans – as uh, Aaron said, just started getting pissed off at this ref because it seemed like he just did not want to, you know, do his job, and uh, it was frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. So now we have, I mean, we're we're like 15 minutes into the match, and although one is debatable, I mean, there's like two penalties here that could have been uh, could have been called. Like this game could already be over at at, at you know potentially two nothing. Um, so, if, if you want to have a chance to, to look at some some fun little passing uh, at, at about 16:30, there's some great interplay between between Solomon Asante and John Beccaro. Um, uh In the 20 at at 21 minutes, here we have uh, uh, we here we have the goal that we've been hoping for. It, luckily, it only took took the the first third of the match here uh, to be able to get it. Uh, Junior Flemings carries the ball from left to right uh, from his position on the wing. El Paso does a good job of defending. They collapse two defenders on. Uh, one goes high, one goes low. The slide tackle clears the ball away from Fleming's feet, but pushes the ball directly over to, to Jose Aguinaga. And unlike last week, where he just totally miffed a point-blank chance, uh, Aguinaga is able to notice that Logan Ketterer is moving to the near side, uh, to, to near post, totally opens up the, the right-hand side of the goal, and Aguinaga places the ball on post, gets his first goal of the season, and that's a really great thing for, for Jose Aguinaga. Uh, what did you guys see from your side of the field? Just that the ball kind of popped up to Aguinaga at the right time, and you know, good on him for one timing it and being confident and just being cool and passing it in. You know, there's always the temptation to blast it and make a name for yourself. But uh, Aguinaga just realized, hey, I'm a really good passer. Why not just pass it into the back of the net? And that's that's what it looked like. Much better composure than we've seen in those situations earlier this year. And it is his first goal for Phoenix Dragons. So, congratulations. So that gives uh, yeah. that gives Aguinaga one goal and four assists on the season, Kyle. I, I was just going to say, I mean, 
I, you love the composure there. Um, we brought it up, you know, Aguanaga last weekend in the past has had the tendency to sky those kinds of balls or send them wide. I, I just love, you know, the way that the Phoenix Rising um, team breaks it down in the report. They say that he, with his first touch, sends a grass cutter inside the far right post, and that was exactly it. I mean, that ball was just low, right on the ground. Ketter, I don't think, just had a chance to get there, right inside the post. Beautiful goal, and we needed it. I mean, that really, I feel like, up until that point, it, that match had been so even. Even though, you know, we had those opportunities, they hadn't gone our way. El Paso still had a lot of life. Their attack was looking lethal at that point, so definitely important for us to get that goal early on. And the interesting thing is, he that makes him uh, the last of the – the front six to score a goal. So now all uh, our front three forwards and our starting midfielders all have a goal on the season. So that's really fantastic for him. Uh, unfortunately, the joy did not last uh, too much longer uh, in the 26th minute. Uh, Amadou Dia kind of makes a mess of a, bat, uh, of a back pass, just doesn't have enough oomph on it, gets intercepted by El Paso, uh, who pulls the ball over to Edson Partita, who, by the way, is the absolute devil himself, at least in terms of this match. Uh, lots of fouls. He, he, was, he was the villain in this match for sure. Um, and Edson Partita plays a just gorgeous goal, total blast, uh, to tie the, tie the game back up uh, one and one. Dominic, uh, but really, what, this, yeah, bring, take us through this a little bit more. I mean, this really does come down to Dia playing a bad pass, and uh, you know, you hate to see it because he's usually very fundamentally sound, and he's been so helpful for us. But you know, it's it's soccer 101. When you're under pressure, you do not play the ball into the middle of the field. Unless you have a guy that's wide, wide open. Um, and I, I'm sure that Dia thought that there was a guy wide, wide open. But, you know, if you're in pressure like that, just play it back along the sideline to whoever delivered him the ball initially. Or just try to kick it out of bounds or do something. But you, you never want to play the ball into the middle of the field in that situation because it just springs the counterattack. Which, you know, at that point... Good on El Paso and good on Partida for banging it in. Um, and we were talking about Andrew Fox not doing a lot in this match. He actually did get credited with that assist, and he also got credited with winning a couple free kicks and getting a shot on target. So he did have some impact there, um, although how much of that assist is really Andrew Fox on the goal? Uh, I mean, he, he plays it off to him, but still, um, give him a little bit of credit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he definitely, you know, did the work being a center back in a striker role, you know, wasn't comfortable for him. But, yeah, I mean, Contreras, you know, picking off that pass from Dia is really, you know, what creates that goal for me. Um, but, I mean, just poor from Dia. We, we we expect better, and that's only because he's he's done so well as of late and been playing at such a high level that you don't expect to see such a blemish from him. Um, disappointing, in, but I really think, you know, this probably woke up the team that, uh, you know, it wasn't going to be an easy night. We weren't going to be able to get away with these kinds of bad mistakes because El Paso on the counter was just looking so clinical. I mean, it seemed like every single time we were turning the ball over, they immediately were getting a shot on our goal. It was, uh, 
very rem reminiscent of the old rising. So it's definitely something that we need to be wary of. Yeah, or if not a shot on goal, they were at least getting the ball into our attacking third. And after that goal, I think the defense did a great job of being compact and limiting El Paso's opportunities. But you're right, it was a wake-up call that we needed. And this was only their <laughs> second goal in eight matches. Uh, they actually do have a third. Their third. Their third. Yes, one but eight. there's an asterisk because the because th the, the third one was actually an own goal um, by OKC. Oh God. So this is only <laughs> as far as a goal that came off of one of their feet. It's only their second goal in eight matches. The other goal coming uh, from Andrew Fox actually. So, uh, you know, it, it, this is just one of those tough matches because you're like the city's seen a lot. It's it, it's it's seen a lot of crap in the past week or so. Um, and and you've kind of you you want to feel for them a little bit and but you still want to beat them. Uh, okay, so moving forward here, um, uh, Aguinaga wins foul in the 38th minute. It's up at the top of the box, puts in a great position. Aguinaga and Becerra are the ones who who step to the ball for the uh, uh, for the free kick. Becerra is our free kick specialist. He absolutely deserves it. Places a beautiful low roller to the far post, uh, and Logan Ketterer probably deserves a save of the week mention uh, for for this goal. Both teams, both entire teams, pretty much were sitting in front of the goal. I don't know how he saw anything what, what was going on, and he was able to see the ball come to the far post, get a get a long out, outstretched arm on it, and uh, put the ball to the side. So uh, Logan Ketterer did. did Definitely was doing some work there. Uh, 39th, uh, 40th minute, John picks up a yellow card. It's kind of a deserved yellow card, given how ticky-tacky everything was. But it took 40 minutes, basically, of this match to, to have this referee actually pull a card out. Uh, the next card only comes about a minute later. James Kiffey... Uh, Picks up the ball uh, in uh, in the El Paso 18. Uh, picks the ball off of Asante. Actually plays a decent defensive ball. Is shielding it with his body. Asante kind of goes to put a little bit of body on him, um, and Kiffy gives him a little left shoulder, and then swings his right arm all the way across the behind his body, and places an elbow squarely across Asante's jaw. Uh, Kiffy already on a yellow for this uh, at this particular point doesn't get a second yellow. Uh, actually goes straight red, and Kiffy saunters off of the field as, with everybody arguing behind him. Uh, were you guys able able to see anything from your distance there, uh, Dom? Yeah, I mean, I saw I saw Solo go down, and I saw that. Um that Kiffy swung his arm. What I didn't see from being that far is that there wasn't actually contact on Solo's face and that his face was moving a little bit backward and the contact was to Solo's arm. You know, here's my take on this. So those last few minutes, the match was bubbling to a point where it was almost out of control. And Asante, he's a smart, smart dude. He knows that the ref is losing the plot. He knows that El Paso is going to play physical because that's how teams match up against us. 
and that's how El Paso plays in general. It's why they had one of the best defensive records in the Western Conference coming into this match. They get under people's skin. They're physical. You know, prior to Keith Sweater's injury, they were the best defense in the West. So he reads the situation. He feels that the ref is going to have to start doing these makeup calls for allowing the game to get to this point. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's bad conduct by, by Kiffy. You can't be swinging your arm out like that. I mean, it's not a straight red, obviously. But Kiffy should not be doing that just moments after getting a yellow card. And that's the kind of conduct where if, if he is elbowing Asante, you got to take a stand there. So, yeah, it was it was acting by Asante for sure. And I understand why people are upset about it. But the thing about Asante is he is a savvy player. He does gamesmanship. He doesn't play dirty. He doesn't uh, try to injure other athletes. But he just, he is savvy. He knows how to play the game. Um, and so it works out in our favor. Now, maybe that's worthy of a yellow card, which gets the same result with Kippy being sent off. But um, it's a huge, huge benefit for us. Savvy is the right term. Yeah. I mean, that that really makes sense. Go ahead, Kyle. I, I was just going to say, I'm with Dominic. I mean, looking back, you know, we couldn't tell from the supporter section whether it hit Solo in the arm or in the face where. Um, so at the moment, you know, we I was screaming red card just seeing how, how it played out that Kippy was already on a yellow. Um, but looking back, I mean, I'm with Dominic. If it's not a straight red, it's definitely a second yellow. This match was just getting out of control, and Asante sees the moment. You know, he's a veteran player, very savvy. And, I mean, it, it is what it is. I think this, this kind of happens all the time in soccer. And, you know, sometimes you're on the right end of it, and sometimes you're on the wrong end. This time we were on the right end, and, you know, we were fortunate to be up a man for the next 45 minutes. And uh, that, I think, go ahead, Dom. I think Solo is smart enough to know who's guarding him, that Kissy already has a yellow card, and that obviously it'll benefit us to be up a man, and that might be what it takes to win the game. And so, you know, if he's going to get contacted, he's going to go down and emphasize it and put the pressure on the ref to make to make a decision about it. He isn't telling the ref to do to whip out a red card. He's just saying, "Look, I got fouled. It's your call now. I'm letting you know. You better do something about it." And yes, maybe the way he emphasizes it and the way the crowd gets on the ref influences that red card. But you know, I, I think it's just crappy stuff, and it that kind of thing upsets me less than players that are just being dirty. He's really a master manipulator. Um, it's, it's so it's such a smart... Not only is he a master manipulator of the ball, which he demonstrated several times in, in, in this particular match. Um, I already noted one of them with some interplay with him in Vaquero. Uh, but he really has happens to understand how to use his size and really shows why he is... an. I don't even know if he's an MVP candidate at this point. I, I just, I almost think that it's, he's so close to just like, uh, you might as well make this like a, a mid-season award here. <laughs> uh, 
because he's made such a difference this season so far. Yeah, you know, Asante is like, I think the great athletes in every sport are going to manipulate the advantages to the best. You know, you see Tom Brady in football gets more roughing the passer calls than anyone else. Kobe Bryant knew how to draw fouls. James Harden and Steph Curry get draw, draw fouls really well. You know, Steph and Harden on the three-pointers kicking their legs out. It's just, yes, they have insane skill, but to maximize your advantage, you also have to do that gamesmanship. Every great athlete does it. it it's part of the mind game. It's part of the, the inner game of soccer, as they say. Uh, it's a great book. It's an old 70s book. I think it's called The Inner Game of Tennis. It's a fantastic book for any athlete. Uh, but it really uh, go, goes and speaks to um, the mental aspects that come into play here. Uh, so this leads us into the second, or leads us into halftime at 1-1. Uh, things have been, you know, very, very chippy throughout. But now with El Paso having to come out of the second half with only 10 men, what does this do to the Phoenix Rising offense? And ultimately now what you're looking at is you're looking at, you know, eight Phoenix Rising players or seven Phoenix Rising players playing against 10 men who are going to sit behind the line and, and bunker. And it was very, very frustrating uh, to watch at least the first the first little while. Uh, I'm looking at kind of the shot map, and Phoenix Rising did not have a shot in the first 10 minutes of the second half at all. Um, you know, even, even with the man advantage, just was not able to pick up any, any shots. But then things started to loosen up, and I think what – Coach Chance uh, did, and I talked about this with Rising, with uh, Joseph Lowry the, of Rising Tactics uh, after the match, is that Chance had told them, hey, let's start letting El Paso, um, uh, I'm going to use this term because I use terrible analogies all the time, let's, let's let them play the accordion a little bit. Let's let them move into our half a bit. Let, and let's try and see if, if, if we can allow them to push the ball into our half and then take advantage of some more um, some more counter opportunities. And I think once we stop seeing Phoenix Rising just saying, okay, we're going to play a possession game in their half, and started letting them get behind uh, or get on the other the other side of the half the half line, the the game started opening up because in the ten minutes following uh, from 55 to uh, uh, 55 to 65. Uh, Phoenix Rising had one, two, three, four, five, six shots on uh, six shots on goal, none on target. But gameplay started opening up. Dom, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean it was good to see them create chances, but when we hit that 65-minute mark and it's still one-one, that's when I started worrying. Geez, maybe this won't be our night, um, or maybe this is really going to come down to the wire because. You expect some of those chances that Flemings was getting, that Solo was getting, to at least be on target and make Logan make saves. The fact that we weren't forcing uh, Ketterer into many saves, I mean, we only had five shots on target from that match, 20 shots total. So, of course, at that point, I'm like, man, did we, uh, did we leave our shooting boots behind in L.A.? Like, this is – we might need a little break to get this win because it was – it was tough to watch. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. What about you, Kyle? Yeah, it, it was just, I mean, one of those nights it seemed like. And it, it really, you know, 
for a long time, it felt like this match, you know, was almost just like that Fresno match to where they go down a man and it just grinds out to a draw. And um, it, it really was frustrating for Phoenix because we were getting all these opportunities and, you know, the players were well aware we just have to move the ball. We're up a man, but El Paso was just playing so compact and just, you know, being able to repel each and every one of our attacks, it really was, you know, just frustrating and it leaves the fans wondering and anxious. And I think, you know, it, it starts to influence the atmosphere of the stadium when, you know, we just can't seem to have something to really, really cheer for. So it was uh, it was definitely, you know, worrying for a little bit there. Yeah, so we get uh, in this in this period, this uh, uh, start of the second half till about the 65th minute, we do see, start to see our Phoenix Rising substitutes come on. We see James Musa come on in favor of Jose Aguinaga. Um, that was that's an interesting substitute in the uh, 58th minute. Um, Judith Flemings comes off in favor of Joey Calistri in the 66th minute, gives his his battered and bruised legs a, a, a little bit of a rest there. And in the 70, uh, 71st minute, 72nd minute, uh, we finally get our break. Um, and that's some really nice interplay in between Amadou Dia and Adam John on the left-hand side of, of the El Paso 18-yard box. Uh, Amadou plays the ball up in the air a little bit, uh, uses some volley technique to try and get the ball over a defender, uh, trying to get it up to actually to Adam John's head. John, who wants to play it, play the ball back down uh, to Asante, kind of similar to a through ball, ends up picking up an elbow. Tadia. Uh, I'm sorry, Tadia ends up picking an el an elbow in the back of his head uh, while he's standing in the box. No question, referee calls the foul, points at the spot, and Adam John earns himself or, or earns Phoenix Rising a penalty shot here. Uh, Dom. Well, there there is a question. He got elbowed, but he did not get elbowed in the head. If you go and you look at the replay, he gets elbowed in the back. In the middle of the field, that's for sure a foul. Is it enough to call a game-winning penalty on? That's where it gets gray. El Paso fans were very upset about this. They thought that this was a very soft call. The commentators on the broadcast thought that it was a soft call. And... Again, this is where the savviness and the game gamesmanship comes in. Everyone on this earth knows that Phoenix was denied a clear penalty in the first half. I'm sure the ref even saw his phone blowing up with people saying, dude, how did you miss that at halftime? So, yes, refs are humans. They Maybe there's an inclination to give a makeup call. And Adam John was elbowed in the back. And he's going to go down and, like, not get right back up, but, like, he got, he got elbowed. You know, you it's not simulation because he was hurt or he was hit, and it is something that would be a foul. You do what you can do as a player, and then the ref has to make that choice. And the ref very quickly pointed to the spot. There was no hesitation on this one. Um, <clears throat> I could see it going both ways, but I think – given the fact that the penalty was so obviously missed early in the match, maybe it was a makeup call. Yeah, the announcers did call this soft. I, I don't see it as soft. I, I, I see it as a foul. I mean, a foul doesn't have to be hard. If it's in the 18, it's a foul. And if it's a foul, it's a penalty. 
and that, that's that's where that goes. Uh, Kyle, thoughts? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's a foul in the box by the letter of the law. It is a penalty, and and yeah, I mean they're calling it soft. Well, the referee did not give a card in that instance, which I kind of found surprising given that it was a card in the box. But you know, it, it, we couldn't figure out what this referee was thinking. The one thing I will say. You know, maybe it was a little bit of karma on Drew Becky because he, you know, should have had the penalty called on in the first half for the handball, ends up conceding the one here for shoving Adam John. So I think, you know, he gets his due. And um, there definitely, you know, was some nagging in the back of the referee's mind that, you know, he screwed up. He didn't award us a rightful penalty in the first half. And, I mean, he had no doubt instantly as soon as, you know, Adam John goes down, he puts the whistle to his mouth and points to the spot. Uh, I think the referee was always going to call this a penalty, and it was just El Paso is going to feel unfortunate, but, you know, they should have had one against them earlier. So it seems like no matter what, they should have had a penalty go against them this match. It maybe was the incorrect one, but that's how it goes. And Becky earns himself a uh, a sweaty Adam John jersey. Uh, I just realized that he's the one that, that they traded that John traded his jersey with. So uh for the gift of a penalty, uh Becky goes home with an Adam John uh uh jersey from Phoenix Rising. That's fantastic. Kind of savage by Adam John. Oh, <laughs> that's so yeah, brutal. Here's a that. reminder <laughs> of how you lost the game for your team. Uh, yeah, yeah. Here's here's the three points right here. We'll exchange those. Shit, that's that's uh that's funny. <laughs> and uh you know that there was i don't recall any real significant chances um that that was pretty much all she wrote um el paso didn't have a shot attempt on target off target period in the entire second half um they had they had a there was a cro- uh, one crossing chance that was about it but not a single shot attempt in the entire second half so it just seemed like you know they said look, we're in one point right now. Uh, at halftime, they sat down and said, we're at one point right now. We're playing for one point, and that was that. Um, there was a corner that came in, oh, I want to say it was the, the, the 86th minute or something like that. Uh, they did have a corner chance, and I thought, I really don't like this corner. I really don't like this opportunity. And I just have this this thought that if this was the 2017 version of Phoenix writing, that that uh, El Paso uh, equalizes on on that corner. Uh, luckily, they did not. Uh, any other plays in the second half stand out for you guys? Not really. I mean, it was cool to see Bjornson get a few minutes uh, just in stoppage time. He hasn't been on the field for Phoenix in a little bit. And we had a couple chances to make it three, but, yeah, I think at that point it was mostly about being game out. And one other thought on that penalty um, that actually makes me feel better about the call is the ref had a very good view of this one, um, Guido Gonzalez. If you look on the replay, he, the defender um, has his arm stretched out, and he kind of extends the arm, pushing into John's back, even though he loses the header. So it's definitely a foul. If that happens in midfield, that's a foul 10 out of 10 times. The referee is looking at both players directly in the eye about 10 yards behind the play. So he had a great line of vision for this, and he had no hesitation to call it. So, you know, if people are going to be upset about it, 
you can't complain about the ref not having a good view of the play. You can say that, oh, well, you know, maybe because it's in the 18, there should be a different set of rules and quote-unquote soft fouls shouldn't be called. But the ref was very confident about it and he had a good view of it too. So. Kyle, anything else? No, no, not really. I mean, it, you know, definitely some some nervy moments there. You know, there's still another 20, 24 minutes left in the match at that point after we get the penalty. But really, I think it was just, you know, staying strong in our defense and, you know, still threatening El Paso. It really did seem like when they came out at halftime that they just settled for the draw. They weren't going to push anything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, great to see Phoenix be able to grind out this result. And I knew this was going to be a very tough, a very emotional match as well. Um, we talked about it earlier. You know, El Paso's had a lot going on. and I'm sure the players were very motivated to go out there and give their all to represent for their city. So, um, you know, it was an emotional match. But, you know, I, the one thing for the takeaway for me is to be able to have those players exchange jerseys at the end. I think that was a really great thing. It shows, you know, some things are bigger than, than sports because – in the game, these guys were going at each other's throats. I mean, there was a point there in the 40th minute where, you know, the fans wanted to get out there on the field and have some words with the referee and some of these El Paso players. It was very, very emotional and, and heated. So uh, it's good to be able to see that at the end of the day, you know, we respect each other as competitors and uh, we can move on to the next match. Yeah, so uh, just some statistics and some credit to El Paso. El Paso actually maintained 46% possession in this match. Um, definitely a possession-based team. Unfortunately, it's not getting them the results that they want. Uh, but even playing a man down, they were able to maintain a pretty high possession rate. Uh, Phoenix finishes with 20 shots, five on target, um, two goals. El Paso, only five shots on the night. All all came in the first half uh, with their one goal. Um, in terms of... Three on target. Say that again? Three on target. Yeah, three on target. Uh, Phoenix finishes with 423 passes. Uh, we like to see that number in that 400 range. That's that's toward the lower end of of what I think Coach Hansa actually is looking for in general. Uh, but given the fact that El Paso did have the, the amount of possession that they did, uh, they completed 347 or 374 passes as well. Uh, I, I think that. Phoenix really made the most of its opportunities uh, and had had some pretty effective ball movement throughout the entire match. Uh, any final thoughts? All right, moving on. To the the well, hey, the the I wanted to see if Kyle had one to lead off, but I definitely have one. Um, that penalty by Asante is just an MVP mo moment, and it shows you know, a different outcome than what happened earlier in the year when in very similar circumstances, Asante's shot was saved by that young Rodriguez keeper out of Colorado Springs. You know, it feels like this is the game when Asante steps up there because we aren't putting much on target from open play. They were doing a very good job frustrating us. I'm thinking to myself, this is the game. We either score this and we win or this is going to be a draw because it just didn't seem like either team was capable of creating much the way that second half was going. And Asante, just cool as a cucumber, puts it in. I mean, for all the style he shows, for the games where he scores a brace with ease on dollar beer nights, 
these are MVP moments too. The times where everything's on the line and you just got to do your job and put it in. And he made no doubt about it. Yeah, and an important goal for him, uh, um, given the fact that Daniel Rios of Nashville has uh, actually pulled even with him in the Golden Boot race. Uh, Rios and Asante were both sitting on 15 goals heading into the day. Uh, Asante now with 16 goals, one short of the Phoenix Rising uh, goal-scoring record set by Chris Cortez last season. Kyle, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, this just shows – um, not only is Asante, you know, our clear, you know, penalty, first choice penalty taker, our captain, but he's got to be the USL MVP. I mean, just goes up and absolutely smashes this penalty. And, and you know, really, I think he was playing some mind games with Ketter because you see, he, you know, he's diving well before Asante is taking this penalty and makes the penalty a lot easier for Solo. Um, it, it just, I mean, definitely the moment we needed on a night where the margins were so thin to have him come up and just show up and, you know, keep scoring and keep himself leading this Golden Blue race. I mean, so, so excited for the guy. He's earned every single reward, every single article that comes out about him, everything right now. Um, Solomon Asante is just working his ass off for. And uh, he's still sitting on a 1.36 goals plus assist average, uh, which is absolutely fantastic for a full-time player. Um, uh, Andrew Wheeler Amunu actually uh, beats him out in, in the lead for that on the team, uh, given the fact that he has one goal in, in uh, uh, six appearances and 69 minutes of total play. So, uh, actually, Wheeler Amunu has a goal and assist, but, you know, he's not a full-time player for the team, so that's the way that goes. Uh, interesting also to report behind Daniel Rios uh, sits Kevon Freider. Uh, with 13 goals, uh, Adam John in, tied for fifth with 11 goals with Cody Herzog of Reno 1868, who happens to be coming to town uh, very, very shortly here. Yeah, do we want to get into that? Well, let's let's hit team news real quick. There's not much there. Team news and league news here. Uh, team news: Brandon Kiniston was added to the injury report. Kiniston is our, uh, I believe, 18-year-old uh, academy signee goalkeeper. Um, He's never going to play this season, so that's not a big surprise, or not a big impact. Uh, and uh, the biggest news is we have uh, Cody Whelan citing in Tempe. Uh, Whelan was a full participant in in uh, training this this week. Was not chosen for the 18. Uh, I believe that he's probably getting a little bit more accustomed to our heat out here. Uh, but good to see that Cody Whelan is is coming out and playing. Have you guys he- heard much about him? Not no, too much. Not really. um, I, just that I think uh, the beat reporter for Arizona Republic, uh, Drake Hillis, um, tweeted that he was fully participating on Tuesday. And then Joseph Lowry had a great article in the midweek with some nuggets from training. And he uh, he definitely had a nugget about Cody in there that you should check out. You know, I said Cody. Um, it's actually I, Corey. Sorry about that, buddy. We'll we'll get, we'll get to know you. I promise. <laughs> yeah, my apologies too. I I set you up badly for that one. Uh, in in league news, uh, really didn't see too much come down league wise. Uh, of interesting to of interest to note, 
a ESPN Plus is going to be added to a new digital offering that's going to include Hulu and Disney Plus. Uh, so for $12.99, you can get ESPN Plus, Hulu, and Disney Plus. Uh, Disney releasing its new digital offerings, which is going to actually include all of the Marvel Universe. So all the stuff you used to see on Netflix that was Marvel is now going to be on Disney. Uh, so uh, that's that's going to be interesting to see how the additions of these, these extra offerings may affect uh, um, uh, viewership for ESPN+. Plus. Also, ESPN Plus coming out with another announcement last week that for the 2021 season, uh, they will be the for the 2020-2021 season, uh, they are now going to be the home of Bundesliga in the United States. Uh, so that's pretty interesting that they are scoring Bundesliga away from Fox Sports and showing that ESPN Plus is the home of soccer for the United States. Uh, and and uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Any thoughts on either of those two? Are you guys excited to see uh, some some Avengers stuff on on Disney Plus? Not the show for yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That belongs on Arizona Soccer Radio, right? Uh, there's a whole lot of Disney-related podcasts out there. I'm sure that they can talk and actually know what they're talking about with that. Uh, we should try and get on some of those. Maybe we can get them interested in Phoenix Rising. Um, yeah, get cross-promotion. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right, uh, Dom, you probably know more about this than, than than I do. So tell me about Reno coming in next week, um, especially coming off of a, a, an atypical four, or one-to-four loss to San Antonio. Yeah, one of the more bizarre results in this entire USL season, San Antonio's been a wildly inconsistent team. Reno coming in with a couple wins, uh, and you would expect them to, at the very least, get a draw at home against San Antonio, having the altitude advantage and everything. But no, San Antonio just takes this match to them, 4-1. to one. It was 4-0 in the 58th minute. Um, and two of those goals were scored before Reno picked up a red card. Reno got lit up for 21 shots and 11 shots on target by San Antonio in this match. So just very bizarre. Reno is a good passing team, though. They usually outpossess their opponent. Um, as you mentioned before, Corey Herzog is a guy to keep your eye on. They have a lot of strong talent in the midfield and up front. Um, Partida, uh, Raul Mendiola, formerly of Monarchs, um, Duke Lacroix in the back. Um, they do rotate goalies, though, so that could be a possible weakness. Um, guys that One guy that didn't start, but he's often in their lineup, and he did sub in yesterday for their goal. Seth Kostipli, another guy to watch. They're, they're a fun team. Um, something odd is I don't think Brian Brown was in their lineup yesterday. I don't know what the story with that is. Oh no, that's that's never mind. He just got signed by some team in in uh, Asia, right? Um, hold on. I believe I was gonna say I know he went somewhere else. I don't remember where he got signed now. 
I want to say he got signed by like an Albanian team or something. Like it was very yeah. different. Yeah, Albanian. Yes, yeah. you're yeah, Albanian. How do you remember Albania? Yeah, um, uh, that was announced in in uh, July. Yeah, they uh, they bought his bought his rights. Um, let's see what's the team name. FK Parziani of Albania Superliga. <laughs> Spreading the USL players around the world. Hey, that's something you love to see. Yeah, not having yeah, to face him. <laughs> and and actually, he's one of two guys that we're going to see, or one of two guys on two teams that we would have seen these next two weeks. Josh Cohen recently transferring to Israel. Yeah, that's true. Both 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 are big big pieces of the pie there. Um some stats on Reno, Cody Herzog, uh being their their top player, 11 goals, 5 assists, only one off of a PK. Uh Brian Brown, uh who we won't see, Sam Gleedle, 5 goals, Seth Cass uh I can never say his name. Uh uh <laughs> Sipley and Raul Mendiola both with four goals and Lindo Mafeca Aldo with four goals. Uh assist leader their assist leader to watch out for is their uh forward Raul Mendiola. Uh the twenty four year old Mexican forward. Um it is a typical starter, has twenty appearances, fifteen starts, um and and, and plays the ma- majority of the, the 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 match minutes for uh, at that forward role aside, um, Cody Herzog and Brent Richards. In terms of their match history, I mean, th- this is a decent little segue if we if you want to go into standings next, but uh, this is, I believe, the second or third time that we see Phoenix Rising in the first position facing off against a, a, a team in the second position. Uh, Reno has 24, uh, 24 games played. They're 13, 6, and 5, uh, 44 points with two games in hand over Phoenix Rising. Uh, so that one versus two is always kind of interesting, but it's almost a false two given the fact that they have two games in hand. Uh, Kyle, any thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I, w- I was actually going to say, I mean, it is one versus two, but I think when it comes down to the playoff picture, um, one versus two is actually Phoenix and Reno, just given the two matches in hand. And Reno, I, or Reno Fresno, I think Fresno's run a form. It's just better. I think they've gotten great results. They've really made their home a fortress. Um, but I mean, this match is going to be a difficult match. Uh, it's you know it's going to be one of those nights that Dollar Fear Night Magic is going to be needed. Reno, they lost a very very tough match. You know, just got whooped up on by San Antonio. Um, and, you know, hopefully Phoenix will be able to exploit, you know, some of these same mistakes that they made. I kind of wonder if that'll be the case because they're going to be tightening up a lot this week in training, just given that they had four goals put in on them, four goals in 60 minutes too. So I don't know who their player who got a red card was. Cavillo, that's who it was. So they'll be missing one of their central midfielders, which will be nice. Someone else will have to fill in. Um, But really, I think this match, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough, maybe another physical match, maybe not as physical, 
I think there will be a lot more passing, as um, Dominic brought up. Reno is a team known for their passing and being able to move the ball very well. So this should be a fun, exciting match. I'm really, uh, really weary of Corey Herzog. I know when he's been at Reno, he hasn't had the hugest impact, but I just remember him being back at the uh, Riverhounds in the Eastern Conference, and, and he used to tear it up for them. And having Mendiola to provide assists, there's definitely a, some dangerous players on this Reno lineup. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a match that will test our defense, but I think their defense doesn't have answers for our attack. You know, we beat them 3-0 in Reno. It's a team that has conceded a lot of goals against quality opposition. And it's a dollar beer night, so that gives us at least one goal right there. I feel pretty comfortable with thinking we can win this, like, 3-1. That's, I think that's a fair, fair result. I'm a little, I'm, I'm going to play a little more conservative. Um, I'm a little bit concerned uh, heading into this, heading into this match, on uh, with a day short rest. Um, our training staff seems to seems to be able to get our guys up every single time, but the past four or five matches, I've just no noticed. I, I think we've lost a little bit of a step, and I think that these all these little knocks, like the one um, on Junior Fleming's, I think all these little knocks are starting to add up a little bit. Um, I still think we win. I, I think it's going to be a two to nothing win. Um, I think we're probably going to, I think we score one early um, and we score one late, just to give it a little bit of drama. Interesting for the for next week's match, there's going to be something, some sort of surprise that's going to come out that's Bud Light related. Bud Light spent time with the team yet, uh, on uh, Friday, and they had a camera crew at the match yesterday. Uh, you might have seen a guy wearing this cra kind of ridiculously crazy like mechanical contraption uh, to carry around his camera. So Bud Light's going to be releasing something pretty decent sized in terms of uh, the match for, for next week's Dollar Beer Night. My guess is that Phoenix Rising is named the official team of Bud Light. You know, usually Bud Light is the official beer of something, but Phoenix Rising is the official team of Bud Light. That's a major diss to all the other teams out there. They just don't drink as much as we do, I guess. It's hot during the summer. We gotta have our beer. We gotta have cold beer and lots of it. <laughs> Kyle, did you did you have any thoughts on the game itself? I noticed that Reno has pretty good road form. They've actually won four of their last five away matches. So, yeah, no, how do you think do. it's gonna I shake mean, out? I, I mean, any time you bring up Reno, I just think back to our first match against them—that four-zero, just ass whooping that we took back in 2017. So, I mean, this team can play on the road historically and this season. I mean, I, I'm still – I'm with you. I think 3-1 is, is the best result. I really see – you know, I see I see us getting one early and then maybe one more shortly after half and then them making it 2-1 and us getting a third at the death. But this is going to be a difficult match. You know, I don't think it's going to be as chippy as the El Paso match. A lot of that will depend on the referee, but I just I don't think as a squad Reno doesn't play that that style. So it, this should be a really fun, free flowing match. I mean, the atmosphere is going to be insane, as we talked about 
this, this promotion or whatever Bud Light's working on, it'll be really exciting to see. Um, and I mean, yeah, you'd have to say Phoenix is the, you know, official team of Bud Light because we drink it and we win. And uh, what better promotion for your brand than that? Yeah, and we should see some travelers coming in from Reno. Um, there, there's one guy, and I'm trying to remember his name, uh, um, DJ I'll remember it. I was going to say DJ Doom or something like that. He's on Twitter. Uh, really good guy. So uh, it, it should be should definitely be fun. Um, all right. So with one, one facing off against two, let's uh, hit the rest of the standings here and uh, and scores from around the league. Um, in third position behind you know is Fresno with 43 points, followed by Real Monarchs, who's really found some form over the past uh, the past 10 10 matches or so. Um, and, and move their way back into uh, top four contention. Uh, followed, following the Monarchs is Austin Bold in fifth position, who's tied with New Mexico United with 33 points. LA Galaxy 2 actually showing some playoff uh, potential here, uh, going three and two in their last five, followed by Sacramento Republic. San Antonio showing some, uh, showing, showing some better form with three one and one in their past five and OKC energy rounding out the top 10 sitting below the line Portland Timbers two followed by El Paso Las Vegas Orange County Rio Grande uh, Colorado Springs Tulsa and the very dangerous Tacoma defiance who is now only three points short of the target that I set set for them for the rest of the year uh, so if they hit 20 I'm gonna have to eat some words <laughs> I was can I was we, thinking we, about that when I saw the score, Aaron. I was like, "Shit, Aaron, you're you're get, getting too close now." <laughs> that was my can first we, thought. Talk about that. Six points in the past two matches. They heard you. They've they've definitely been listening to our podcast. Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, you put it out in the world, and and uh, somebody's gonna just just crap on you. What, uh, Dom. Dom is a brand new Tacoma Defiance fan as of the past couple matches. So, Dom, tell us, uh, tell us your thoughts. As a lifelong Tacoma Defiance fan, this is a very <laughs> validating threat here. <laughs> no, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, this team has been just really, really unfortunate to see the last couple of years, and it's it's absolutely a fascinating. Um, dilemma this off season because Tacoma mm-hmm. now plays in a in a stadium that seats over five thousand. They've been getting the best attendance of any two team in USL. They got over three thousand announced for this match. I mean, over three thousand announced to see the worst team in USL. They're doing something right. Or Tacoma is so just that boring. Like as a city, not as a team. <laughs> or or People just really love soccer out there. That could be it too. That's what you'd hope. Um, but yeah, they they find a way. And man, I'm looking at some of the goals now. And Orange County defense just leaves a lot to be desired. They're they're they just shoot themselves in the foot. Quite frankly, two embarrassing goals. Oh my goodness! Did, did you guys see these highlights? Yeah, yeah, I watched them. Just, just terrible defense. I mean, I wouldn't even call it defense. They're just standing around. 
I mean, both of them are just balls in the box that, like, a college team would be able to clear. It's beyond pathetic that, especially the go-ahead goal, I mean, it goes off an Orange County guy backwards into the feet of someone from Tacoma. I mean, they – all season long people have been saying, oh, Orange County's better than their record. They're really not. They are just – they are who I've been thinking they are. They're a team that can play well, but in general they're just not consistent enough, and their defense hasn't been good enough. And they're going to miss yeah. the playoffs. I will I will call that right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't disagree with you when you look at the three teams above them have a match in hand. I mean, I, I can't really argue with that. Well, I just think that you know, I, I think that what it comes down to is the sort of danger of the, of the two teams, um, given you know could, between how the parent club is playing, um, if the parent club has a guy who's been doing really well in training at a particular time, um, who warrants some playing time, but they but there's no room at that at the parent level, um, and that they're able to send him down and really make a difference in, in what happens on the, the the USL side. Uh, I need to look this up. We were talking before we started recording about a player like Efrain Alvarez. Well, if Galaxy ends up missing the playoffs, um, or it doesn't look like they're going to be playoff bound, and they want to send Efrain down, uh, all of a sudden now you have a have a team that that's limped its way in the playoffs, and now you have a, a, a first team player on an MLS contract. I mean, look, I understand he's 16, 17 years old, uh, but he's an incredible talent that now everybody has to deal with. And this, this issue that Zlatan Brahimovic was complaining about, where the regular season barely matters because all you have to do to win a championship is make the playoffs. Well, these two teams have that opportunity to be able to do that. And and I think that was some of the complaint with what Swo Park Rangers uh, was doing when it won its, uh, won its back-to-back Western Conference championships. Yeah, I mean, it's it definitely, you know, it's one of the, the things that people complain about. But, I mean, to go on the flip side, um, Phoenix has that luxury in that we can move players down to League One, you know. So so it goes both ways. It's kind of just part of, of the system to where we have these parent clubs. Um, but, it, I mean, when when you're seeing teams that shouldn't, shouldn't be in the conversation and are able to get first-team players that come down and get them results, it's definitely a harder a harder hit to take. And Alvarez does have two appearances for LA Galaxy 2. That means he's got to be, he's got to show up, I think, for three more matches uh, between now and the end of the season, and that'll make him playoff eligible. I I get all this chatter, but Los Dos is not a team that traditionally brings down a ton of first-team guys. Alvarez happened last week, but I think it was because he was suspended from the first team. And he's a regular contributor to the Galaxy so I don't expect to see him um, coming down and being part of a playoff push for Los Dos. Uh, there are definitely teams that are bigger culprits out there than Los Dos as far as bringing guys down. And Timbers, too, is a team that does it a lot more frequently. So Dyron Esprita is basically on a two-way contract where he'll play for both teams and make multiple appearances for both. Um, Los Dos, though, is probably the team that stands out the most from this week. I mean – 
They get a 3-1 road win over Austin yesterday. They're now seventh in the West, and they've won in their last four matches. Um, they got an away draw at look. Actually, if you go back to their last seven matches, I mean, away win over Orange County, away draw at Vegas, 2-1 home loss to Reno, 3-1 win at Tulsa, 2-1 win at Timbers 2, the loss last week against us, and now a 3-1 road win in Austin. These are great results. I mean, they're beating a lot of teams on the road. They're playing the best teams tough, and they're beating playoff teams on the road. But they're still sitting on a seven, a negative seven goal differential, and their position in the standings is also, you know, there's a factor in, in the fact that they have two games in hand on a lot of teams. Um, so we'll have to see. I mean, this is this is the fascinating part about when when there's this sort of uneven schedule with Galaxy, uh, Galaxy, OKC, and Reno all with 24 uh, 24 games switchbacks as well. And the vast majority at 22, and a couple at 23. So, you know, we'll have to see how the rest of the the, the, the season sort of plays out. And a big match that we don't have the result on at the time of this recording: New Mexico versus Timbers too. I mean, those are both teams that are really looking for a win there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if Timbers get that win, they'll catapult themselves up two seven right below New Mexico United sixth place. So, yeah, this is this. I think it's a 6 p.m. kickoff on Sunday. That's going to be a, a fun match. Well, that's everything. By the time you're – That's everything on my listing for uh, for this episode. Uh, one thing we didn't mention, which we really should have uh, when we were doing the recap, uh, don't – plan on running into Zach Lubin going full speed and coming out of it looking good. Yeah. I mean, he didn't get the nickname the mountain, you know, for no reason. uh, The guy's a beast. And I... What a a punk move to keep running at the goalie like that. that, I don't understand how it's not a card. That's because everything I see um, in terms – I might have to, like, cut this out and, like, insert it into the, the middle of the conversation. But everything that I see says if you pull that shit when the keeper has the ball – I mean, even if the ball's on the ground. If the keeper has one finger on the ball, on the ground, in the air, that's that's control. You cannot touch the ball. You cannot touch the keeper. How was that not a yellow card? I mean, look, I'm not going to say that Partita Partita probably got his punishment, <laughs> but I don't. I just didn't get how that that was not a card. Dom, you you've sat in goal. What's the deal? It's just it's just a punk move. Like there's no need for it. The play's dead. He had the ball already, and. What's super annoying is what if in that moment where he drops the ball, there's another attacking runner who gets the ball and puts it in the net? I mean, you probably call it back for a foul, but at that point the ball is in play unless the ref actually steps up and blows the whistle. And that's 
that's pretty nefarious. I think that's what he was going for, is trying to dislodge it. But this isn't a play where two people are going for a loose ball. I mean, the, Lubin clearly had the ball at that point. And usually in those situations, you see a guy run up to the keeper but then slow down or pull off to the side. He wasn't doing that. So Lubin had every right to, to knock him out. And Lubin even said, I was upset that I dropped the ball, but didn't matter in that situation. It's just, that's a punk move. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, just, just petty. You don't you don't want to see it for either team. Because, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that if, if you score off that, you know, that's a trash goal. It's not, uh, not the right way to earn one. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I usually like people out in El Paso, but, like, they were complaining about that play, saying that it should have been a foul on Lubin online. Give me a break. Do you even that's watch ridiculous. soccer? I mean, do you even know the rules? Like, that's, that's that's the, the that's a terrible take. How bad that take is. Yeah. So bad. Um, all right. So Phoenix Rising continues as its three-match homestand uh, with the Bud Light Dollar Beer Night on Friday, August 16th. Uh, just a reminder, the first 2,500 fans that arrive will receive a free black T-shirt courtesy of Arizona Complete Health. Uh, gates open at 6 p.m., not 6.30. Uh, the match kicks off at 7.30. Uh, do not hoard T-shirts, people. Not cool. Uh, wear your blackout gear. It's going to be a hell of a match. I think it's probably going to end up being warmer than it was last night, uh, but it's it's going to be a really, really good one. Dom, final thoughts. Don't throw cans on the field. Don't throw cans on the field. Don't, Don't throw cans in the stands. Don't throw cans over your head. Don't throw cans in front of your head. Don't throw fucking cans. You might hit a photographer who's, you know, sitting down in front of the supporter section. It's not cool. Yeah. Kyle, any, any last thoughts for you? No, no. I mean, did the business this week, and, you know, hopefully the team will put in the work so they can uh, get it done on Friday night. The fans, I mean, we love the atmosphere. We love the craziness of Dollar Beer Night, but, yeah, we don't need any stupid shit. Um, I'm, it, I mean, it's almost to the point that uh, I've come, you know, tight with a few of the security guards. I told them next game if I see people throwing beers, I'll uh, flag them out for you and we'll get them kicked out because it's just we don't need that. It's not something that, uh, you know, this club's about, so. We love to have fun, but nobody needs to uh, get hurt while we're doing it. And we we all know that there's going to be more casuals than than usual that are going to be at the match. Uh, be cool. Let's try and convert casuals into ultras or or, or you know whatever you want to call them. Um, but just know they don't know everything, and if they need to be taken aside to say to be told to stop being a dick, uh, make sure you do it um, because we want them to 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 hang around. We don't want them to get kicked out of matches, but we also don't need them doing stupid shit that's going to be a bad reflection on our team and on our supporter section. Uh, that's it for me. Well, one one note that is kind of cool, um, Tampa Bay lost this weekend. So Red Bulls are now number one in the East, but that means that we are now three points clear of the next best team, and we have a game in hand over both Red Bulls, too, and Rowdy. Oh, there is another conference, yep. I suppose. <laughs> the Eastern. The Eastern Conference. 
All right. Well, th- that should close us out um, for the Risings One podcast. Uh, I'm your co-host, Aaron Blau, this for Dominic Kearns and Kyle Mackey. We'll see you guys all next week at Dollar Beer Night, uh, Up Rising. Uprising. The Rising is One podcast is sponsored by the Arizona Sports Complex, home of the North Phoenix Soccer League, Summer Futsal, Box Lacrosse League, and Summer High School Advanced League. Please visit the Arizona Sports Complex and tell them the Rising is One podcast sent you. This episode is brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items just yourself and your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price from other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Thanks also to the Beautiful Game Network and all the other excellent podcasts that you can find covering soccer and all things USL.